Hey, hey everyone. everyone, this is Linda and Drew Scott, and this is At Home, a show where we chat with artists, experts, leaders, dreamers, and innovators on the impact they're creating in the world. And we bring it home to find ways that we can build healthier relationships with ourselves, our communities, and our planet. Because we truly believe that any difference we want to make out there in the world, it all starts right here with ourselves at home. So this Happy is a Earth busy week. week. Enough about that. This is more... Oh. It's Excuse about you. Excuse me? It's about you. This Says is Linda. Mother Wood. Earth. <laughs> uh, if anyone listened to, was it last week's episode with Lance Bass? I was cracking up laughing. I was did it, my it? impression no, of was, Linda's friends. No, it was the first episode of, the, of this month. And mm-hmm. Drew was doing an impression of my All of like, childhood, childhood friends. friends. Hey, aren't you Mother Earth? <laughs> yeah. That's how they all spoke. But Are it, you Mother Earth? It is Linda's birthday in a couple of days, April 22nd, which is also Earth Day. Double the fun. We've been raising money to plant trees this month, which is really exciting because we are getting so close to our goal of 10,000 trees. Yes, and so close to the goal of 10 minutes of cold plunging for Drewby. Because Drew promised that for every thousand dollars, for every thousand trees planted... He would do a minute of cold plunge. Yeah. I don't necessarily want to cold plunge, but I'm hoping that the weather out there will warm up, the pool will get warmer, and then it's not as cold. I'm going to add ice. <laughs> Whatever you need to do. <laughs> but we uh, still have the ability that you can click the link that you'll see in our description or wherever you want to check it out on social media. We'll have lots of links so you can help donate to raise that money to plant trees. Yes. One dollar equals one tree. Equals and we want to smile. Plant- Equals so many more smiles and fresh air. Um, Yeah, 10,000 trees. We got this. We got this. We got this. High five. That was a... No, wait, you got to do high high 10 because it's 10,000 trees. There we go. Why was that that so difficult? I don't know. So what else do you have planned this month? Nothing. That's it. Um, This week is going to come and go. No other big plans at all for your birthday or anything. Um, I... I, um, Are you on to me? I'm onto some cake. I have plans for myself. No, you are not allowed. I told you for your birthday over that period, you what are not period? allowed to do anything from the day before your birthday to the day after your birthday. You are not allowed to do anything or do anything or do anything. <laughs> that was our rule on my like from birthday. From midnight? No, just day before to the day after. You're not allowed to do anything. That's tomorrow. Yeah. That's the rule. She's trying to break the rules right now. All right, now. and what was the rule for your birthday? Mind you, I don't have a cake thing planned, so if you do want to add a cake in there, go ahead. Okay, you can okay. do that. Okay. You're going to make cake? Okay. cake. Uh, no, I just have... I'm planning on jumping out of my own cake. Okay, that's... that's. <laughs> I'm not planning on doing that, so you, you're good. Aww. <laughs> uh, and then you can do cake for my birthday, too, if you want. Oh, yeah? Two weeks of cake oh, in a row. Drew loves Black Forest. So we could tie this all together, like 10,000 black forest cake trees. I don't know. For every tree we plant, I will eat a black forest cake. (laughs) I'm so over sugar now, Uh, but not really. Uh, Anyway, I'm excited to celebrate Earth Day this week. So next week, (laughs) I'll share with you all the amazing things that I planned for Linda on her birthday. Ooh, I can't I just can't tell you yet because she's listening. Okay, I'm I'm going to take my headphones off. All right, basically, um, I'm going to have her make me cake. 
Okay, next topic. <laughs> <laughs> this month on At Home Podcast, we're focusing our conversations on our planet. We're partnering with the amazing organization, Emma. For over 30 years, the Environmental Media Association has been a source of education and entertainment, providing a unified voice for the planet. Mm -hmm. And Emma Talks is a conversation program that was born out of the need to highlight voices of scientists, doctors, innovators, and just remarkable people doing important work to help sustain the planet and its people. You can watch all of our at-home Emma Talks conversations on green4ema.org and on both Emma and our at-home social media. Mm-hmm. We are so excited for today's guest. As innovation lead at H&M Foundation, Eric Bang and his team are finding ways for the fashion industry to operate within the limits of our planet while still meeting the demands of the growing population. He works to investigate all links in the chain from production to transport and how to extend the lifespan of a garment, but also the end of life of our clothes, how to recycle and reuse what we already have and what's been manufactured. Mm -hmm. So um, we do want to give a heads up that there is a little swearing in this episode for anybody who is listening with little ones. Keep that in mind. This is Eric Bang. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're, they're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my everybody check that yeah all right well i like to control my adt smart devices like my lights my locks <laughs> my security system with google nest speakers and displays and i like to say hey google to get started listen i said ours i'm all about ours not <laughs> mine Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Well, we're super excited to have you on At Home. We talk about how everything starts at home from our own minds and bodies to our families and communities. And then, of course, eventually the planet. And we're stoked to have you here because the fashion industry is such a huge part of so many aspects of our lives. And you have such a, an in-depth perspective that you can share with us. So can you start by introducing yourself and what you do at H&M Foundation? Yeah, sure. Um, and first of all, I'm super happy to be here. I'm, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm super happy to, you know, work late tonight to to uh, join you guys. So thank we you. We appreciate for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, my role is uh, as innovation lead at H and M Foundation. Um, and probably starting by a few words about the foundation. We're a, a nonprofit funded by the Stefan Persson family, the the main owners and the founding family of the H and M Group. Um, and we are working to accelerate the um, adoption or the realization of the United Nations Sustainable uh, Development Goals. And we, we work hard to improve the lives of people everywhere, um, focusing and using innovation, collaboration, and, and sharing our insights and, and learnings um, to maximize impact beyond our small team of just 12 people um, um, to the world. And in, in, in a way, we're an extension of the values of the family and the company. Um, and so entrepreneurship runs like thick in our blood and it's a defining trait of who we are, as a, even as a nonprofit. Mm. Um, and we, we sort of our core topics are inclusive societies 
in the planet positive fashion industry. And, and I'm um, sort of leading the work in the planet positive fashion industry side of the foundation. Our role is to accelerate innovation and we're addressing the, obviously the planetary footprint of, of, the, of the industry. And we, so we accelerate innovation, we run impatient research, and we also try to be sort of an, uh, constructive activists out there and pushing uh, beyond the actual programs that we're doing as well. Mm, I like that constructive activist. And and I like the the way that you define it, planet positive. I I, I actually think that that's really great because it's pretty very clear. Yeah. Um, as what your directive is to do things that are positive for the planet. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's actually new for us too. I mean, we 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 used to drive circularity solely, and and it, w- it will remain a core concept of what we want to do ahead. But we also have to accept that we we can't expand the loop either indefinitely, right? I mean. Earth is a limited system that we still rely on. And so we, our vision is that the, the fashion industry becomes this positive impact on the planet so that every garment that's ever produced and worn actually has a positive impact instead of rest, less bad impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is really important. And we, you know, we want to get into more discussion of that circular economy uh, as well. But one thing I did want to point out and, and maybe hear a little bit more from you about is uh, I think it's pretty fascinating that the H&M family uh, from, what is it, back in the 40s, yeah. they already had sustainable practices as a part of their mission, which to me is pretty impressive because when you think back in the 40s, most people were not, most organizations were not aware of what some of the damage was that we were doing to the planet. Yeah, yeah, right. And that that's run through, run through, the, through the group definitely. And it's sort of we're taking that torch and, and running it with it in parallel. Um, and I mean, we're not assuming any of the responsibilities um, of the business, but instead we can work in parallel and do things that they have a hard time doing as a commercial entity. Um, mm. and, 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 and we're not doing this for the end for the company either. I mean, this is not, we are brand agnostic. We're doing this for the entire industry. We want to push this change throughout the industry and the, and so we're not taking any ownership or equity in the startups that we support. Uh, we're not mm-hmm. taking and keeping the IP or the research that our work generates, but we're giving it all away, basically mm-hmm. open source. So yeah, sustainability is, is certainly a core. And then obviously it has developed a lot over the years as awareness has developed and, and challenges has developed as well. I just want to do this when you're like, yeah, it's all open source. We share everything. We share our information and knowledge and like what, you know, what we benefit from, like the whole industry can benefit from. And hopefully, oh, there's no hidden agenda. It's yeah. literally just making sure it's the best for everyone. <laughs> Growing up, was the environment always something that um, you were interested in or was there a pinnacle moment that defined your discovery and interest in this space? Um, yeah, nature was certainly as sort of a, key part of my upbringing we we spent a lot of time in nature on you know on the breaks and it was a core part of i think education in school spending time and you know looking at leaves and, and bugs and stuff and, and you know learning about nature um but it was mainly i think focused on, on sort of conservation um and not really you know that cutting Asian forests are bad and oil spills are bad and that kind of stuff. But I never really grasped the, grasped the, the impact of consumption or our daily way of living. That came a lot later, uh, actually. So, and, and, but I, I was quite a, a fortunate as a kid because I got the opportunity to travel with my parents to some exciting places like 
you know, around Sweden and Norway and Europe, but also the US, Australia, Zimbabwe even. So I got to see mm. these vastly different places on planet Earth and started to appreciate the, the incredible diversity of nature and habitats, you know, animals, plants, all of that, and, and could really start to see the difference, you know, the soil looks different, has a different color in each place. The mm. sun and the sky feels and looks different and, and, and oceans and coral reefs and the, this like endless beauty of the planet. Um, and mm-hmm. that really made a huge impression. And I don't think it, I really realized it until I got into this role that that's sort of where the seed was planted and why I care about this. And, mm-hmm. and so that I think the other, the other big impression from, from those travels was also seeing other, I think, less fortunate people in the world. Um, I remember I mean, it was maybe eight years, nine years old. We were in New York and I had my first encounter and interaction with a homeless man. Mm-hmm. Um, we were buying dinner at this deli, which is such an exotic concept for a Swede. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then walking out with the food back to our, on our way back to the hotel, um, this guy, homeless man, came up and had, sort of begged for money. And I was, I just couldn't process. I just couldn't understand how this was possible that he had just wearing, we were just wearing rags. His hair was in a, like a bundle and, and just one or two teeth in his mouth. It was just such a strong impression. And that really started a lot of thinking. And I remember crying and asking my parents for a long time about it. Um, mm. So I guess that sort of created that awareness and also a lot of interest in in the world around me it's something we've always um felt fortunate to be able to travel around as well to see how different people live in different areas of the world and see different cultures and it it really helps open our eyes up Mm -hmm. to everyone and how everyone lives and what we can do to be a part of ensuring it's a better planet for everyone Mm -hmm. can you on top of traveling and being able to see uh, different parts of the world um can you tell us about your career path as you were moving into your uh your role now and uh, what you do with environment, uh, social uh, governance, and sustainability uh, in the fashion industry? Yeah, yeah, sure. I think looking back, I think most of it played out by chance. <laughs> I never really had a mm. clear path in mind or goal in mind in that sense. I, I, I w- I've always been very curious about the world, um, probably because of the travels and, and mm. sort of my my parents recording these nature shows on TV on VHS, so I could see whenever. Mm-hmm. And all of these travels were all, always very educational. Um, so I, I, I studied political science. And then my first job was um, supporting Swedish industry in some of the most complex markets around the world, trying to improve the business environment and thereby stimulating growth uh, for the local economy and, and opportunities for Swedish business. Um, and then... I was, as I was working with so many of the, the biggest Swedish industrial companies, the one company that didn't want to join the group of, of you know, our work uh, was actually H&M. Mm. And, and so this is, um, so I was equally like provoked by that, but I was also equally intrigued and impressed by it because I knew they had like hundreds of people working on this, these topics instead of maybe mm. a handful or just one guy. So I knew they, they had a completely different approach on, um, on addressing these challenges as, as a company. And so I wanted to join. And, and so I applied for a bunch of roles 
<laughs> with the group and obviously with the foundation. Mm -hmm. And then I eventually I got called up for an interview. And this is a, tr a true story. I, I didn't know which role they called me up mm -hmm. for. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to sit through and, and sort of fake and be very generic and vague in the first half of the first interview with the manager that then hired me and my first manager at the group at the foundation. Um, and, and until she started to get into the role and then I could sort of, yeah, okay, now I know which track to play and how to yeah. be that right candidate for her. You fake it till you make it. Yeah, right. That's, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, and, and actually with the uh, H&M Foundation, you touched a little bit on this earlier, but maybe you can um, talk a little bit more about how it isn't just supporting H&M, it is literally supporting the entire innovation in the whole of the fashion industry. Right, yeah. So from our perspective of a foundation, we're, first of all, such a small team of just 12 people. And we're just two people working on Planet and on running the programs that we have and the collaborations that we do. We have a, a great team of five that supports with communication um, and so amplifies the work we're doing within our projects and to make sure that we reach the general public, the, I mean, the, the customer um, and beyond our daily our projects. Um, so that's one way of making sure that we we have a bigger impact than what we can achieve only through our you know projects. And then the other strategy or way of doing that is making sure that this is available for anyone to use. Although H&M is a huge player in the industry, they are still far from you know the entire industry. Um, I think I mean they are about one to 2% um, of the total turnover of the industry. So mm -hmm. you can imagine the, the number of players that we need to get on board, um, mm -hmm. and why it makes so much more sense for us as a nonprofit to support the entire industry and to push down the entire industry in this direction. Um, and by giving it all away, the IPs, and by not making also not taking equity in the, in the ventures, because mm. also coming back to who we are, I mean, we're good at, facilitating and accelerating and um, I think, I think um, starting change, but we're not good equity owners and, and, you know, owners of a company. That's not our core competency. So mm. I think investors are better at that. <laughs> well, I, I also, honestly, I think it's great too, though, because then it shows that there literally is no hidden agenda. Right. You are here yeah. for a greater yeah. good for everybody. And I, I think that's such an important thing. There's no, nobody can come after you saying that there's bias. Mm -hmm. no. We saw, we saw an article you um, posted recently about, the failures that you've come across and what you've learned from that. And I just thought that was really as a foundation to share what you failed at and what we can learn from it. Like that's, that's the only way to move forward. So, yeah. so um, many people don't want to, they want to hide their failures because they think that makes them look weak or, or yeah. whatnot, which you guys have embraced a different outlook, which is amazing because yeah. it isn't, it helps us all grow. Yeah. Failure is part of innovation and it's all about. It really is. Sharing. Yeah. And, and you have to accept, failure at times and it comes with sort of trying new things and it is really scary and it's even scarier to share those failures and learnings um, with um, one thing that we're doing is that we're hosting we're running the global change award which is an innovation challenge and um, every year we, we pick up six incredible disruptive startups that are so early stage that they don't have customers on board uh, they don't have investors on board and they perhaps don't even have science, the theories fully proven yet. That's yeah. where mm -hmm. we can add value to all the other efforts going on 
um, as a nonprofit, be that very early on and super high risk. And because they're so early, they also need a lot of support, right? And we, we push them and we, we, we coach them and we provide them with lots of networks and access to the industry. And one thing that we're doing with them is also hosting this fuck-up session. So we <laughs> also share and dig into their hard-earned learnings. Um, and one important element of that is also to share and to laugh about it and to sort mm. of take the drama out of way and out of failure. Um, mm-hmm. as well as to share and so making sure that the others, your peers don't have to make the same mistakes. Yeah. I, I think this is something we can incorporate into our dinner conversations yeah. <laughs> yeah. every night. <laughs> no, no, I actually, I think that's so amazing because you think about it. I mean, even if you kids and adults all the same, like if you think about it, people have certain fears or embarrassments about screwing up. Mm-hmm. They'll never really push the limits the way you need to, to innovate. Yeah. And so you're taking that away by actually embracing it and making that a part of the fun of yeah. the process. The, the startups that you're working with, are they all local in Sweden or are they global? Oh. No, they're, they're truly global. Um, and most of them come from outside the fashion industry. I mean, mm. that's where we think these radical new ideas can thrive it's where they when they're still are fresh and not destroyed by how you're supposed to do things yeah mm-hmm. um one thing that stuck out to me in in that article about failures um was that there's a lot of talk about closing the loop in reference to shifting from a linear uh. to a circular economy in fashion or, or any other industry um first can you define what a circular industry is and secondly can you talk about the importance of language in in making this whole conversation more inclusive and clear the majority of our audience is perceived as um, recycling only. So I think we got like 80% of our entries the first year were on recycling. While we were thought we were very clear that we wanted to address all of the pain points across the entire value chain. So we're talking from planning uh, collections and to making the actual designs and designing for circularity to the materials we source, how we produce and make those garments to, I mean, shipping and retail consumers and how we use those garments, how we extend the life of those garments and pieces before eventually at the very last end, recycle those resources. So uh, with what you just said, then is a, a, do you define a circular startup um, as a company that's just kind of coming in with that model ahead of the game? Or is it, I mean, in your own words, what, what else is there to, to, for these, these startups to consider? Yeah, so they can fix an existing problem or they can, you know, propose an, an, a completely new system, to, a, a way of doing things. Yeah. Uh, but it can be a technology, um, a business model, a material or, or a process, you know, anywhere in the value chain um, that enables or directly eliminates waste um, or recovers, you know, value uh, from resources. So um, we have a ton of examples of different materials that can replace existing bad ones um, or replace very water-intensive ways of making, of dyeing clothes and sort of putting the color onto the clothes. Um, And also making sure that we make all of these products and that they are recyclable um, because it's really hard to recycle today because we essentially don't know what's in those garments. Mm. And what type of chemicals, what type of materials, the composition mm. of those materials. So, um, yeah. Is plastic, how does plastic 
um, affect the industry? Because you see in a lot of other industries, plastic is such a concern, but yeah. with polyester and whatnot, how, how does that work when it comes to reuse or recycle and changing to a different material? No, plastics, plastics is certainly a headache because um, fashion accounts for, I believe, around 35% of microplastics pollution, oh, wow. uh, which is huge. Um, and the most common type of fiber in fashion is polyester, which is plastics. It's basically this, it's PET, the, the same material as you have in your plastic, you know, water bottles. Mm. Um, and on the other hand, we don't have alternatives. So we can't, we can't grow enough cotton to replace polyester. In addition to polyester and cotton having very different properties in terms of how you can design a garment, what functionality you can give a garment, say all your water, uh, you know, all of those you know, sporting wear, that's polyester because it, it transports water. It doesn't absorb water. So it's lighter to your body and, and easier mm. to when you're sweat. Um, but at that same time, we, we, we want to find alternatives. But in, I think plastics in a short-term solution, we need to be able to recycle polyester. Long-term, yes, we need to find alternatives that are not synthetic. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. <laughs> Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. We were just listening to um, the Emma talk with Malin, yeah. um, the Global Change Award winner from last year, Werewolf. Yeah. That's exciting because that, that seems like, I mean, I was hearing that they're in their early stages still, but um, if it happens, like all of our sportswear could be this, I couldn't wrap my head around it. The, the technology well, well, is like DNA, like wool or so, or like fabrics or something like that. Yeah, it's, I mean, some of these technologies that we come across and support are just so advanced that, you know, we basically get them on this level of intuition, but then the deep technology <laughs> is just so hardcore science that it's just, you just smile and think, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, we want to bet on this big idea, this moonshot and, and, and let's go for it. And, and they are one of them, um, it's a team of female founders from New York uh, that are running this incredibly advanced, you know, genomics, basically genomic, gene modification-based technology to, to produce new materials. And the potential of this is enormous. You, you grow these materials in the lab instead of um, farm them in, on, on fields or um, you, you sort of farm animals. So or instead of using synthetics, um, oil-based synthetics. So you grow them in a lab. And then during the process of growing those materials, you add properties so that they come right. out from the lab ready and done. And we have another winner in Global Change Award that is um, growing cotton in a synthetic way in, in a lab, also by using, you know, a lab growing, growing it in Petri dish instead of in the fields. Um, wow. I, I mean, there's an efficiency, obviously, um, in the amount of, like you said, water that you're going to need, the amount of space, uh, land that you need to to create. So I think there, 
That's amazing. When are the next Global Change Awards? Because we want to put up a link uh, oh. so people know where they can actually submit their ideas and innovation. Please, that would be fantastic. We're launching the, the next edition in August, August 25th. We're going to see some crazy solutions from even further away from the fashion industry. Um, so that's going to be exciting. Mm. That's going to be really exciting. And you might even just see our name on one. Yeah. What's our innovation? <laughs> We're going to think of something for in space. Um, on, on that topic, in addition to all of these innovations and, and research and development, how can we as a society shift our mindset to think that way and live in a more minimalistic and sustainable and even regenerative uh, way? One, one thing that we realized when working on, on textile recycling is that, um, which with HK Rita, our research partner um, in Hong Kong, is that we thought of a way to miniaturize recycling into the footprint of a 40-foot shipping container. And we placed it in a shopping mall in Hong Kong with glass walls so you could walk around it. You could hand in your garment at one end and it came out at the other end as a new piece of garment. What? Um, and and the, the idea was that it's not the volume of clothes that we can recycle in that system because it's it's fairly slow, but at least it's dry and it's no chemicals involved. And, and uh, But... It's that if you can relate to the solutions, if mm-hmm. you can see these solutions that usually are abstract and very, very far away in an industrial area or in the other side of the globe, if you can start to see and relate to it, you can believe in, in, in the solutions, right? And if you believe yeah. in something, it's only then you can, that you can actually change your behavior. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and then H&M took that concept to Stockholm. Um, and so there's an, another one of those systems sitting in Stockholm. And I hope there will be more of those in other places soon because we need to educate consumers around the world. Um, Is there a video of that demonstration? Yeah. For that concept? There is a video. There's a ton of, of cool material around it. And um, yeah, we can share afterwards. Yeah, oh yeah, sure. definitely, Sam. I need to see that. So wh- your your clothing piece goes in. What ha- what happens to it? Like, it, is it literally the same piece coming out, or is it deconstructed somehow? And like, what what happens? Yeah. So you, you put it in. Um, first, you clean it, making sure it's safe and, and not too dirty, so it interferes with the uh, with the system. You clean it dry though, um, with ozone, um, in a closed system, so you recover the ozone for the next garment. Then you put it into a shredder, so you shred it into fibers and then you put it back into a, um, a thread and then a yarn and then you put that yarn into a, a, onto a, the top of a 3D knitting machine that this Japanese company Shimaseki does it's incredible and these yarns just out comes a ready garment in one piece how long does that take? So no cutting and sewing I think it's about 30 minutes what? for a sweater the- that's oh like a pizza. That's, you know what, that's what it, can you add one machine next to it that makes pizza at the same time? And then I have everything I need in life, the new sweater. Think, and, yeah, we have, we got to go back to the drawing table and improve our concept for sure. That, that, that's when we enter the contest this yeah. year, that's our, that's our innovation. Edible, edible clothes. Uh, that is phenomenal. And I, and I just love, it's energizing for me to hear something new like that, to see that it is changing a habit because that is society has taught us that we want, we need more, we need better, we need new. And I think retraining ourselves to not think that way. And hopefully, you know, media is a big part of that too. Social media is a big part of that as well. And everybody's sort of um, pushing you, subconsciously pushing you to buy new change. Even though something is still good, you need better and newer. Um, So I 
I think that's really cool that you have that innovation that can show you can have new if you want, right. but here's a process to use what you already have to make it new. Right. I think that that machine is so symbolic as well that it's clear and it's transparent, you know, and you see the direct item that goes in and then you see the direct result that comes out and how it directly impacts you personally. I think that is so, so clear and so mm -hmm. poetic yes. at the same cool. time. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. Well, we made him better bring one to LA so you can. Oh my, oh my gosh. gosh. We'll, we, we'll leave it at our house here if you want. Yeah. Uh, it's no, I, and I actually, I have to say too, we didn't say this earlier actually, but where we first met you was through the Environmental Media Association. And I really love as well that they help share these new ideas as well. They sort of, there are so many celebrities that are a part of Emma that use their platform to help spread this sort of positive messaging in ways that we can change the world. Um, yeah, these are the stories that yeah. we love to share. Like, that's so exciting, this <laughs> machine. <laughs> I think Drew, you said something, you put it really well that, I mean, the, we... Today, we have these role models, influencers, celebrities, I mean, like you guys, that, that have the power to influence people and behavior. And it plays such an important role because, and that's why I thought also Emma plays such an important role to, to drive this. Can, can you share with us one of the most hopeful innovations that you've seen um, over the years? Um, yeah, I think one of the most, hang on a minute, I, I have one right next to me, I, I show you. Oh, oh yay, nice. show and tell. Yeah, show and tell. <laughs> well, for anyone listening, we'll also, we'll post this on our social media, so you'll see. Yeah, uh, and it'll be on uh, YouTube on Emma Talks as well. Mm -hmm. oh, so, I mean, so we mentioned Werewolf and the um, galley as the, the, the lab-grown cotton earlier. So this yeah. is, um, can you guess what this <gasps> shoe is made of? It, that's that's cotton. So the the upper well, it looks is, like rubber. Yeah. So the rubber is is um, yeah. I don't know the details of the rubber, <laughs> but the upper the upper is sort of the that's the the scope here. Okay. So for listeners, it's it a beautiful like white sneaker with a cool sole, and it looks like a leather upper. So it, so you're but saying it's it? not leather? I'm gonna say bamboo. Yeah. Okay. Lena, you wanna have a guess? Uh, Apple peels. You're very close. So this is <gasps> what this upper is made out of grape mark. So the leftovers of wine produce, production. So when you make wines, you, you you squeeze the grapes, you get and the leftovers that like the seeds, the skins, and the stalks. Yeah. Um, and this Italian company named Vegea, um, they convert that into a leather substitute. So oh hold on a second gosh. here. The leftovers from wine grapes, yeah. and that is a white sneaker. Right. Nothing <laughs> from leftover of wine is ever white. No. It's funny, <laughs> there right? There are no stains. And it's that's a great amazing. excuse to drink more wine. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yeah. I think that's that's pretty wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Sneaky. Uh, <laughs> nice. That's really that's really cool. So then tell us this on the opposite side, what's, uh, what's something that needed disruption? What's one of the biggest issues over the years that you've seen that you're hoping innovation will come in to change? Yeah, we, we, we're still facing a lot of challenges around water and energy consumption in supply chain. Mm -hmm. um, we, it still requires a lot of water to make the bulk of textiles and, and to dye the textiles especially, um, um, as well as chemicals. Um, and then energy, most of, I mean, as most of, of production is, is happening in Southeast Asia, um, the grids are mainly powered by coal. 
Um, mm. And so we, we need to develop those grids or at the very least make sure that the, the sites that are energy intensive are run on renewable. And, and so we need both technology, but also um, for the water part, a lot of technologies. Um, and for the, uh, for the energy part, we need better financing structures. And this is very technical, but it's very hard to get the economics, um, make the ends meet to make these investments at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's the one thing I find too, because we, you know, we just had a conversation with Ashlyn Fleet Cousteau about our oceans. Yeah. And there's so much awareness that needs to be brought to everyone yeah. in so many different areas. But in reality, a lot of what we're all fighting for is connected. Right. Our oceans are connected to the water that's inland. And again, too, with how it's being used or how it's being polluted, depending on if it's product manufacturing or if it's waste. As you said, you guys in Sweden, you've stopped pumping waste into your oceans. So yeah, it's all connected. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're talking about the um, color as well and all the chemicals used in, in dyes and, tr- and treating clothes, it brings me back to like the shift in in us as consumers, yeah. you know, we want all of these vibrant colors, but this is just what we've been fed and what we're used to. Like maybe if we are more, um, if we're after like more natural dyes, maybe we'd yeah. be used to using color from nature, you know, and that's not going to look the same as all of these synthetic colors. But like, if there is like a symbiosis there of like what we want and what we can produce naturally, I think that's like a better path for the future. Indeed, yeah. And there are a ton of very exciting startups doing just that. Um, they, and they are making some beautiful products, and it's, but it's not scaling yet. And, and I mean, they are working so hard for it, but if I, innovation takes time sometimes. And, and sometimes it's like technical um, hurdles and barriers, and sometimes it's behavioral, and other, sometimes it's financial barriers. Speaking of challenges or sort of in things that can make an impact, you and I as consumers, I mean, we, we can make a lot of impact. And the most impactful way of you know, action we can do is just extend the lifetime of a garment, making sure that we, we don't throw it in the landfill. If we grow tired of it, just sell it, pass it on, let someone inherit it, give it away. Just make sure it doesn't end up in landfill. Mm-hmm. And, and, and even before that, use your garments for a longer time. Yeah, well, that's especially very easy to do. It is easy. I mean, in our space as well, in the home space, when we're you know designing um, for families, we're always trying to think of ways too that we're not just filling a house full of stuff that it's trendy now, but they want to get rid of tomorrow and trying to find ways that we can upcycle something or restore something to bring new life to it. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's why yeah. when it comes to trends, we always just encourage people Yes, it's trendy, but you have to love something, you know, and it has to speak to you and your personality, whether it's spring or winter. Yeah, you want to love it for for seasons to come and, you know, for you to be able to pass it on to your kids. Then that product has more meaning and it's not just like. Right. Yeah. And one connection makes it durable. Yeah. 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 And also I actually really love one of our friends was telling us that they have a rule um, if they or their kids want a new piece of clothing or whatever it might be. Anything that comes in, something has to go out in the sense that they have to give it to another family. Yeah. And so I, I like the idea that there's this tradesies that you uh, that you're always making sure that that's gonna that life is gonna continue with somebody who needs it. Yeah. Um, and hopefully that new item that's coming in is maybe something that came from someone else or it's upcycled or vintage instead of it being uh, just a brand new piece. So yeah, in your industry, so you know we 
looking at renewable energy, for example, and talking about solar or um, just any renewable energy instead of fossil fuel, one of the big roadblocks um, is actually misinformation and deception because there are a lot of large companies, large entities who make a lot of money and they're very powerful not switching over to fossil fuels. In your industry, in fashion, is it similar in any way that there are certain entities, people, or powerful um, corporations that are actually pumping out misinformation to ensure things don't change because they're making a lot of money the way it is now? Ah, that's a very interesting question. Um, I've never really thought of it that way. Either I'm naive or... um, I, th- I think that the, the evidence is just overwhelming, <laughs> uh, if to flip it. I mean, you, you can't deny the fashion industry's impact. And, and some say it's the second biggest, others say it's the fifth or 10th biggest polluting CO2 emitting industry. It doesn't really matter what number it is because it is huge and mm-hmm. we just have to fix it, right? And on top of that, my observation from working with other industries in my previous job is that this industry has no heritage or a tradition of working with innovation and mm. R&D. And, you know, it's all of the creative power have went into product design and marketing. Um, there were no mechanisms or structures or even budgets to invest in innovation, in R and D, in all of this. It's sort of a such a transformative, and I mean, we're talking about the very fundamentals of the fashion industry, perhaps more so than the automotive industry, which is has always been based on technical R and D. That's how you differentiate. And I think that that's for me. You know, when you hear back in the day, decades ago, electric cars were uh, available. And then big entities bought it up and buried it. And they just hid that innovation. Yeah. And I really hope that in the fashion industry, that the big players in the, in the, in the game will, will start to you know, invest in this new innovation and actually let it flourish, uh, which looks like uh, what's happening. In it. And it's exactly what H&M Foundation is doing too. Yeah, and, and it is happening. And I think the, 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 other, the flip of the coin is that this industry is is you know driven by these i'd say vanity in a way right um and and the, the there's also a, you know a fear of missing out which is so strong and this is probably one of the greatest levers for us as a foundation from being open source is that we know that there are first movers and the best way to get you know the laggards on board is to say hey yeah okay you do what you want but your competitor they are far ahead of you Mm. They are. They have piloted Fomo the innovation. material a number of times, and so oh yeah, and then it's like oh shit, well, I gotta catch up. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, yeah. we don't look good. Yeah. yeah, there it is. We are going to classify this now as FOMO innovation yeah. in the fashion industry. <laughs> we have one last thing we like to do. It's called our speed round. If you're ready for some hard hitting questions, yeah, sure, I am. What meal makes you feel at home, and who cooked it? All right, this is uh, childhood memories. Uh, my mom's lasagna. Um, and it used to be meat. And then maybe 25 years ago, my brother brought, brought home a, a new girl, a new girlfriend that be- then became his wife. Um, and she was vegetarian. And so my mom had to learn you know, how to cook vegetarian food. And, and that evolved into this new lasagna. Mm. 
Delicious. Send us the recipe. Yeah. <laughs> What's your uniform at home? Um, okay, so I'm, yeah, we're working from home mainly. And I just, yeah, no, I get dressed every morning. Um, not in a suit, per- perhaps, but at least um, jeans and t-shirt. But we know that it's a... 3D printed jean, right. custom fit to your size, and a, an 80%, upcycled eighty yeah. percent, yeah, recycled shirt. What smell reminds you of home? Um, I have a small kid, so can I say diaper? <laughs> very valid <laughs> yes. smell. Ah, very relatable for many people. Uh, what three things do you have on your bedside table? Oh, um, okay, um, pacifier. Um, and uh, my glasses uh, when you know when I sleep, obviously, and a book I really recommend. It's called um, the Entrepreneurial Leadership um, by Joel Peterson. He's a professor at Stanford, um, talking about how to lead organizations and teams that just work in this constantly evolving and dynamic environments. It's very amazing, um, you know, high emphasis on empathic leadership as well. What's the name again? Um, entrepreneurial leadership. Perfect. Awesome. And and is the pacifier for you or your baby? <laughs> no, it's for Matilda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite way to connect with nature? Oh, you know, I love skiing. Um, I don't get to do that very often anymore. Um, but um, it's just my biggest passion outside of, you know, family and um so that sensation i think of, of skiing that the motion and the especially skiing the, the powder that you guys have back in canada that we travel to get um that's the coolest way to um, i think experience nature and that you know you ski through the snow and it's endless the bottomless feeling and it's just it's still so quiet and mm-hmm. it's just you the snow and gravity have you ever been to Banff? Well, there are so many Swedes that come up to Banff for the winter skiing. No, I haven't. I, I wanted to go. I, I actually lived six months in Whistler just to ski. Um, oh, and that was such an experience. And we were looking at going to Banff. But we managed to time the worst season ever in Whistler. It was like it was raining all of January. <laughs> oh, no, oh. that's not good. You got to come back. What's your, your favorite sustainable hack at home? Oh, um, I think the the reuse of, of clothing, um, especially with like Matilda growing out of sizes like every week. Um, I'm so fortunate to have a bunch of older brothers with kids that I've just inherited a bunch of children's clothing um, and also friends with kids that we have a ton of them. And it's so cool mm. to see Matilda being so proud of wearing her cousin's old oh. sweater and she know exactly mm-hmm. which sweater is from which cousin. Uh, How cute. And that really inspires us to also be a lot more conscious about the turnover of, of, of garments and, and the turnover of things in general, uh, be yeah. it, you know, interior stuff, furniture, whatever it is, and, and making sure we pass it on and, and at, at least return it. And then for some mysterious reason, our clothes occasionally shrink um so i don't know if that ever happened to you but it oh it happens to me all the time mysteriously my clothes shrink what? so that somebody else can wear my sweaters yeah. i don't know what you're talking about mm, mysterious 
Thank you so much for Thank joining you. us. A lot of information here. I mean, this is something you live day in and day out, but honestly, there are a lot of things that are that are great reminders and, and new things we didn't know to think about. And we look forward to sharing links to what you've talked about and show some of this innovation to get everyone else thinking on the same page. Yeah, we're so excited to share um, your continued work and all of the new innovations that come out of the Global Change Awards. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a pleasure. I am so excited about all the possibilities and innovation that's out there. These startups that he's talking about are just amazing. I just want to touch everything that he was showing us. And like the sneakers, the the white t-shirt, it just looks so soft. The denim, I we need to get our hands on those. On I those just jeans. I want to touch the the actual technology more than just the touch end the product. tech. I want I tech just touch for touch, me. Touch tech. Tech. It's <laughs> Linda's losing it. She is absolutely losing it. I'm just uh, so excited. <laughs> but it is cool just to think like, it, it's almost like anything you could possibly guess nowadays, It's it can happen. It can be made. It's, it's yeah. new innovation. So that's pretty cool. It gives me a lot of hope for the future. Yeah. And by the way, Eric showed us more prototypes um, and he had us play a game called Guess the Innovation. Be sure to check that out um, on Amatox, on YouTube, or at home. We will have the video, and we'll also be posting links to all of the uh, the cool tech that he mentioned in our show notes. Cool tech, and we also sucked at the game because we didn't guess any of it right. Well, didn't I guess? Didn't we? Um, I thought I guessed like- Oh, you got one the food thing. You, you said well, some of food Well, I guessed apple peels, but- it, it was not apple peels. You'll have to watch to see yeah, you watch what video. it was. Yeah. If you could create like one thing, like one tech thing, okay. what would it be? This is Quick. what I'm, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I want one piece of workout equipment that does sort of the pro and the con movement. So it does the, the pro and the con. Well, sorry, I'm thinking in my brain. It does, <laughs> it does the opposing movements for you. So for example, so if I start with my arms straight out and then I bend my arms, that's working my biceps. But then when I straighten my arms out again, it's working my triceps. What if I had a machine that when I went the one way, it worked my bicep. When I went the other way, it worked my tricep. There isn't really a machine that oh, does that properly. Here, push your, put your arms out. Put mm -hmm. your arms out. It's okay, called now. the Lindor. Okay. Oh, bicep yeah. Bicep curl. And then now and the other way. There you go. Tricep. Oh yeah, she's pushing on the tricep. So let's get a machine that's a little more efficient than Linda helping me with this. Wouldn't that be amazing? When you're doing squats, when you're lifting up, it's working the one side. When you're coming down, it's working the other side. I would love that. Yeah, I've always yeah. wanted that. That's my innovation, Eric. I'm um, pitching that to you. Start up. Okay. I mean, I think I would want kind of like kind of like the machine that Eric was talking about. Like you you put garbage in and it shoots out something that you need roses in love <gasps> a love yeah. machine they've that, had those that sounds different that sounds like it's a totally different type of machine <laughs> all right well thanks for joining us guys we'll keep thinking of our ideas yeah we got to work on that yeah it's they, <laughs> they need work the the pmp uh is my short frame you know the cool people call my my invention the pmp well yeah we got to do some r&d for your pmp mm -hmm. And a huge thank you to our homies, Brandon Angelino, Annalie Bell, Hannah Fan, Courtney Iwanis, Wes Friend, Chris Cobain, Jessica Bryant Harvey, and Nicole Schachter. Our theme music for At Home is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson. And music is composed and produced by Rick Russo. Thank you so much for listening. And if you do enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate us. Always rate us. We love you rating and commenting. Yeah, we actually like your feedback. And to you, thank you. Thank you, love you. Love you.